For the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories. My name is AJ. Today I'm joined by Dan Edmonds, who is the Director of Vehicle Testing at Edmonds.com. He is the man responsible for helping you make up your mind on purchasing a vehicle. <laughs> uh, Dan, thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, there's a ton I want to get into talking to you about because you guys, you do a ton of really neat stuff at Edmonds, mm-hmm. and you have a very cool car that caught my attention that we'll get into later. Sure. Um, but before we do that, let's go back to the very beginning of what kicked it off for you. What is your earliest automotive memory? My earliest automotive memory? Um, probably a race car idling somewhere. My my father was a professional driver. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, he drove uh, midgets and sprint cars. He was Rookie of the Year in the Indy 500 in 1957. Really? And uh, so when I was uh, when I came around... He'd already retired from that, and he was building midgets and sprint cars. And and where were you guys living? Uh, Anaheim, Anaheim, so, California. That's where his shop was too. So what? You kind of have a aggressive take on car culture growing up because you know you're in the hub of it growing up, and mm-hmm. your father is the absolute thick of it. And did what was sort of your opinion on all of it at the time? Well, when you're a kid and you're growing up inside it, it just seems normal. Yeah. You know, like there was a time when I was uh, seven years old when the phone rang at home, and it was Evil Knievel wanting to talk to my dad. Sure. Because <laughs> he built the first of the two Sky, sky Cycles. Really? And uh, and I I think I met him once, but, you know, that kind of stuff happened. And it was just one of those, doesn't everyone's kids, doesn't everyone's fathers race in the Indy 500? Well, I didn't get very much mileage out of it in grade school because I don't think anybody believed me. That is, it is such a neat thing. And now, when you were growing up, did you sort of always have the mindset of, I want to be involved with cars? Did you want to get into racing? Well, it was just there, right? And yeah. I'm, I'm working at the shop since, you know, I was a little kid, uh, you know, cleaning toilets at first and then sweeping up, picking up the shavings out of the lathe in the mill and uh, eventually cutting out parts and going to the track and you know, just I kind of grew up doing that instead of doing other things after school and during summer. Are you a handy person? I mean, are you uh, mechanically inclined because yeah, of that? Yeah, 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 pretty much. I, I learned a lot from my dad and still do. And, uh, you know, I ended up going to engineering school to get a mechanical engineering degree at Cal Poly Pomona. You know, that kind of just was the natural yeah. progression. What, um, so was the idea take over dad's shop, become a race engineer? You know, that's the thing is at the time, you know, my dad would come home and, you know, he's like, not really that uh, uh, interested. It didn't seem to me that he was priming me to take over the shop. And and, and I just never quite uh, got that into my head that Mm -hmm. that's where I would go. And then how did you make the move to the journalistic side of the automotive world? I didn't even do that on purpose. Okay. Uh, when I got out of the out of college, you know, got a job with the Department of Defense in San Diego, of all places. And at that time, I'd been around circle track rating, racing, uh, sprints, midgets, Ascot, uh, Ontario Motor Speedway, mm-hmm. uh, Hanford, a lot of little tracks. Just going there with my dad and watching races. And uh, when I got out of college, you know. Uh, and I was kind of on my own, and I wasn't really connected to that anymore. 
one of the guys at work was was racing in SECA road racing, and he needed somebody to help him. So I went to Riverside with him one weekend to help him with his rabbit. He had a rabbit Bill Stein Cup car, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the first time I'd actually really been to a road race, and I kind of liked it. Wow. And uh, within a year, I had my own car and uh, was racing against him. What were you racing in? Yeah, showroom st- well, it was, at the time, it was improved touring. Okay. And I had a rabbit. I got one from somebody else and kind of built it like his. And uh, just kind of went from there and kind of uh, started doing showroom stock. All of this like, while working for the Department of Defense. And uh, Did you have a knack for it? I mean, just being around your father, were you uh, inherently a good driver? Did Was there a lot to learn? Well, you know, it's hard to say that. Well, you know, no. but but it felt it, it, you know I, it came to me pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and I started uh, you know doing well and setting track records and uh, you know going to the runoffs and doing all that in the next uh, in, in the next couple of years. What did your father think of you racing? Uh, you know, part of him was like, "Why are you doing that?" And really? but the other part of him was was you know there was some pride there. Yeah, well, I imagine it's it's got to be a little fearful, especially. It sounds like the time your father raced was not the even remotely close to safe. No, not at all. And that's one of the reasons why I think he was discouraged. He may not have done it intentionally, but he was kind yeah. of discouraging me from driving and kind of being involved with that. Because, you know, he, he saw a lot of people get hurt in, in his day. Yeah. And I, it, uh, even though he, you know, was really a big promoter of roll cages on midgets and things like that, you know, he still... Um, you know, I'm his son, right? He didn't want yeah, me to, no. to do it. It, you know, it. it is amazing, and it's it's sad in that, you know, even as relevant as now, there are still deaths happening, and there's there's so much talk of safety. But when you look back at the time when your dad raced, mm-hmm. the, the first question is, why didn't more people die? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it was, was just it was so rough. unsafe. Well, you know, the, the cars that, you know, somebody died in one year would be fixed and brought back to the speedway the next. You probably want to leave that out of the Craigslist yeah, post. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how do you? So now you're racing, you're engineering. How does the editorial side of you start to come out? Um, you know, it's weird. It took a long time. I mean, uh, I, I I started working for Toyota at their proving grounds, and my job was to tune suspensions for prototype vehicles. Uh, it was weird. I went into Toyota thinking, "Oh, I'm going to be working on the MR2 and the and the uh, the Supra and all of that." And in my first week, my boss uh, asked us all, "Has anybody here towed a trailer?" And of course, I've been to the races all these times and have towed trailers, you know, lots of times. Yeah. So I raised my hand, and nobody else is raising their hand. Okay, you're on the T100 project. So hey. I got onto trucks when I was there and did a lot of trucks and off-road vehicles, which actually turned out to be a lot of fun. I was going to say, I mean, you could have been doing minivans. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I did a little of that. But, but uh, you know, I had a lot more fun than the guys on Camry. Let's just yes, put it that way. That, that is true. You, there, there, there are far better and far – wow, Toyota had a really diverse lineup yeah. you could have chosen from. I mean, yeah, you could have gone yeah. from Supra to – Camry to I don't if they had the Sienna back then right but, uh, um, but yeah no it, it, so what sort of goes into some of that R and D testing when you're out there well you know it's a lot of the seat a lot of seat of the pants you yeah. know when you're when you're setting up a suspension for a street car it's kind of like setting up a suspension 
for a race car, the goals are different. You're not trying to go as fast as you can. You're trying to be quiet and comfortable. Uh, you're trying to, uh, you know, give the pass the, the driver what he's looking for in the car. And that could vary from brand to brand and model to model. So you're trying to tune the car so it reacts the way you think consumers of that car want it to react. So this gave me a lot of uh, practice in evaluating vehicles, you know, and picking them apart. Yeah. Uh, and uh, even though I wasn't writing in a narrative style, you know, for for entertainment, I'm basically just reporting to the home office what's wrong and what we need to change. And But you're learning to observe. Observe and report and describe. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that is very kind of touchy-feely. You know, you're, it's, it's not as much instrumented uh, data as you might think. There's some of that, but there's also feelings involved in suspension tuning and descriptions. And that kind of, you know, I never really realized that I was picking that up. But when this Edmonds opportunity rolled around and my vehicle evaluation uh, skills that I developed, you know, developing new vehicles. As an engineer. Yeah, just kind of it became a different sort of report for the same activity. So how did it come about? Um, well, at the time, I was uh, in my second automotive job working for Hyundai at their proving grounds, which I was involved in the uh, the layout and, and not not uh, primarily, but I was involved on the on the periphery, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just saw posting. You know, I've always gone to Edmonds ever since I was a little kid because the the name was the same. Yeah, you know, oh, mommy, buy that. You know, when we were in the line at Walden Books or something, and you don't need a new car price guide. What do you want that for? You know, I'm like ten. Sure. But later, when there was a website, you know, I would go to Edmonds.com and kind of go into the town hall and see what consumers were saying about cars that I'd been involved in to see if they were complaining about things or if they liked things. So I'd always kind of gone to Edmonds, but I'd always figured, well, I'm not a writer. And uh, eventually, you know, I got in touch with Kevin Smith, and uh, he was looking for somebody, and uh, the timing seemed right, and I figured I was ready for a change. And uh, writing wasn't going to be the entire Thing. It was mainly about managing the uh, the testing process and expanding it, and you know ratings and review, su- supporting ratings and reviews, and so I went for it. And uh, within about six weeks, I find myself in Germany driving a brand new Audi A6 V10 with the assignment to write you know a first drive article on it. And yeah, slightly I was a little bit, upgraded from the T100. Yeah, I was a little scared <laughs> at first. Well, you know, I to me it's always it's an exciting. I really appreciate automotive journalism because it is it covers so many different facets, um, either just generic entertainment or really helping someone decide what their you know usually second biggest financial purchase is mm-hmm. going to be. Um, what sort of sets Edmonds and what you guys do apart from the you know the Motor Trends or the uh, Auto Blogs or Jalopniks or you know Road and Tracks of mm-hmm. the world? Well, the people that come to our site are generally looking to buy a car. So they're not always car people. Well, they they can be, yeah. but they could be people who who are, are different sort of car people. They're yeah. in, enthusiastic about miles per gallon or or uh, comfort or something yeah. else, and uh, so you know they're looking for a car that meets their needs. And we've got reviews, we've got pricing data, we've got price promise now that helps them lock in a price at a dealer near them that you know, we'll actually kind of take the, take the sting out of trying to figure out how much they need to pay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but so our, our, um, 
our pro, our editorial is basically trying to help people understand the cars in the segment that they're interested in and figure out which one's best for them. What? And that can be entertaining as well, uh, for sure. But the goal isn't uh, to speak to an audience that isn't really in the market for a car right now. What um, what are what is the normal consumer sort of looking for these days in a car? What is like sort of the the must haves list or the you know here here's what I want out of my car? That varies from segment to segment, but you know most people want you know, there's still a big emotional component to what people are looking for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, beyond that, you know, fuel economy is a big one right now, especially in Southern California. Uh, durability is always important. Uh, but I think people just want to get a sense of what the car is before they go to the dealership. Yeah. And what are, what are some of the most looked at cars on your website? Ooh, uh, I don't have a list in front of me, but you know, a lot of, uh, Family sedans, subcompacts, you know, pickup trucks. Uh, it really runs the gamut, you know. Yeah. Uh, the audience that we that we attract, uh, it, it could be, you know, Mazda 3, could be the new TLX. It could be anything. I mean, basically the newer cars, just like other uh, magazines, when newer cars come out, people are most interested the in these cars that. that they haven't seen before and what's new this year. So when there's... Uh, the cars that tend to be researched tend to be, you know, the old favorites, the ones that sell the most, the F-150, the CRV, uh, you know, the Camry, cars like that, plus yeah. anything that's new that's, uh, that's you know, maybe they've seen. Uh, so a new Porsche comes out. Exactly. A new Ford GT comes exactly. out. They, they, they want to read about it. When you're starting sort of the review process, you get into a car for the very first time, um, with your R&D experience, what are the first sort of feelings you're getting or the first things you pick up when you start to review a car? I think uh, there's no one thing. I mean, I come from a suspension background mm -hmm. personally. I, you know, I, I look at everything. But, you know, the feel of the, the car, ride comfort, noise, uh, steering, those are the types of, you know, uh, things that everybody uh, has in common when they drive a car how fast a car is and how 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 its limit ha how it handles at the limit those have more specialized appeal to uh folks you know, and and so for specific cars that are kind of geared towards you know gearheads mm -hmm. uh you, know, you look at those things uh i mean everything everything's in play uh the interior is really important uh because everybody's even if they're sitting on the 405 not moving uh, they've got a seat to sit in. They've got controls to play with, uh, uh, interface with their phone. All of all of that matters, really. There's no one thing, but certainly, you know, because of my own background, ride and handling is something that, that, that I look at feel. first. Yeah, just the feel of the car. Does it go to the road nice? Is Mine it? is always where my knee hits. Yeah, I don't know. That, I don't. I always wonder if that's just me. But I, and I fortunately I get to drive a lot of different cars. Wherever my knee is just going to hit sort of against the center column. Exactly. And I always think I'm going to invent like a really luxurious, <laughs> like soft leather sticker pad. Right. That I can just like figure out where my knee is going to go. And just because there's so many cars where I go, does no one else's knee, is no one worn a pair of yeah. shorts while they're, you know, while they're test driving this car? Uh, what, what in sort of the, you know, more recent times of cars you've driven, what's, what's been sort of the most impressive and the least impressive cars? 
Ooh. Um, you know, that changes from week to week because yeah. so many cars are coming through. But has there uh, been a standout, you know, wow, this blew me away or wow, this this let me, you know, disappointed me? I, I haven't, uh, you know, the new um, Mitsubishi Mirage has, has not, uh, that leaves me pretty cold. Okay. Not, not, not a very, uh, I see a lot of them and because the price is low, they kind of follow the theme of this other car we'll talk about yeah. soon but uh not really that impressed uh i really you know i i personally gravitate towards cars you know compacts because i don't know i've just always liked compacts i've always you know the cars i raced were that size mm-hmm. so i like a mazda 3 i mean it's a real nice well-rounded car that uh, is affordable and has a really nice look and handles well and has a great interior uh you know, that's not a high performance car, like you know. But that is a car that ninety nine percent of the world is going to end up. Yeah, I mean, versus... this is this has kind of been my uh, my career, right? Uh, you know, I like certain cars, but I'm always drawn back to what you know. I still have that uh, engineer's brain where I bring yeah. myself back to the cars that the consumers I'm talking to would like to have. They may not have the money for a nine eleven, and they don't really want to hear me talk about how great a gt3 is is it hard though i mean do you you know say you know the the mitsubishi or the the mazda for despite it's a good or bad car is it hard to set i'm trying to figure out how to word this is it hard (laughs) to set your personal opinion aside from when you're reviewing a car i mean are there times where you go i don't like this car I think it's ugly. It would never work for me. I would never buy it. But it's a really good car. Oh yeah, well that's that's the first thing you have to get over yeah. in order to do this. Uh you know, uh especially in in our kind of consumer oriented uh uh mindset, you know, it's if you're working for uh, one of the buff books, you you don't have to worry about that so much. It can be a lot more about what you like. Yeah. And uh because you're speaking to readers in in that way. But uh yeah, you have to get over what what uh what you like personally and try to uh you know talk about you know what's good about this car and what's not in a kind of a universal sense. So. Yeah, and and I said sort of off here and this is how I meant that as a compliment. You guys are you are the baseline uh of reviews. It's just here is the here is everything good about the car, here is everything bad about the car, and really you you know, we'll leave it to you to decide if it's worth mm-hmm. buying or not. Um, you guys, you, you you do a very. There's a lot of opinionated reviews, and there's a lot of really good opinionated review sites and writers sure. out there. Um, but you do sort of just need that. Um, you know, here's the car. I I bought my Ford Focus, um, and I went on to YouTube just because you know I figured look at all the reviews of people driving Focuses on YouTube. And there's a hundred shows of really well produced, really engaging, uh, good shows about that it's incorporating this car. But what it came down to, there was a kid with essentially a cell phone camera walking around for right. twenty minutes, opening the doors, showing you the interior, showing you how it turns on and off, mm-hmm. and not really passing no judgment, just saying, "Here is a bone stock focus." And that video helped me decide if I wanted to buy the Focus or not. So I, uh, you guys are a little more polished than a, <laughs> than a you know, a 22 year old out in uh, 
in North Carolina with a camera. But um, no, it, it, it's it's um, it, I, I mean it as a compliment in my rambling. <laughs> uh, the, we were talking about sort of cheaper cars, and I'm excited to get into this. This is what sort of I wanted to bring you guys in and came onto my radar. You went out and you bought a Yugo. Right. It's guilty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, it's something I think any car guy or automotive fan smiles when they hear this story. Um, but give us sort of the whole backstory of why you guys decided you needed a Yugo. Well, needs a pretty strong word. But. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, I need a new kidney. I don't need a Yugo. Right. But. You know, it's just started out of conversations in the office about, uh, I don't know, just cars in general, and it kind of devolved into, uh, you know, we have a long-term test blog, Mm -hmm. which is uh, one of the car reviews that we have. I mean, most of the things that we do, cars are there for a week or two. We test them. We put them through a battery test, but a battery of tests, and then they move on. But there are certain numbers of cars that are, you know, about 20 that are with us for a whole year. Mm-hmm. And different editors will will trade off in different cars and uh, write something about their experience. It might be very singly focused on the knee pad issue on the center console. Oh, I'm going to become your guys' yeah, knee, you knee pad be, reviewer. You could be the knee pad reviewer. Uh, or somebody else is trying to put a bike in. Or you know, somebody goes to, to Ikea and buys a bunch of furniture and tries I, to stuff it in the back. I had to look up the trunk space on an M4 convertible the other day. Yeah. And it... First thing that pops up is you guys showing me how much stuff I can put into a trunk right. of an M4. Yeah, so th- throughout the course of its year with, with us, we want uh, to get you know two or three of those a week. And uh, they're indexed so people can look them up by cargo space or knee interference. With, no, not quite. But uh, interior, mm-hmm. uh, that's where the knee pad one would be. And uh, they, uh, you know, so, so the editors are kind of obligated to do this in, in, in response I mean, in exchange for driving the car. Sure. And uh, and everybody has this to a certain degree. But um, so it started to be uh, a question of, well, what could we have in the, in, the, uh, in the fleet in case somebody, like, doesn't do it or well, what are some a of the cars crummy in the picture fleet? or, uh, oh, what's, what's some cars in the fleet? Well, we've got a Viper. Okay. I drove a Mini Cooper today. And uh, we have a Acura TLX. There, I, uh, boy, I didn't know there'd be a quiz. <laughs> no, no, no problem. <laughs> there is just, a, a the... Nissan Murano, which is all new. Uh, there's a Ford F-150 with the 2.7 liter EcoBoost. We have a Ram with the Eco Diesel. Uh, you know, things that are new this significantly year. Significantly better, more advanced and than w- a Yugo. And would have some kind of universal appeal. Uh, you know, they're kind of best sellers that mm-hmm. are reimagined this year. Uh, you know, we're going to get a new Miata at some point. Uh, you know, when there's a new Volt, we'll get a new Volt. We had a we had a GTR when they were new. We had a Model S and drove it for 30,000 miles and drove it cross country and back. Yeah. Um, so it's like that. And uh, so sometimes, you know, maybe somebody's a little late with their blog or they the picture isn't that great or we were joking around really, but it, then it was like, well, what could we get? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you came up pretty quickly and then it was a matter of, Oh yeah, right. Well, 
there are none of those. No, so. they're 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 a shockingly rare car. Right? Yeah, because they didn't last. They. <laughs> well, there's you know there's rare because you know Bugatti only made three of them. Right. And then there's rare because they made three million of them and nobody liked them and they were such pieces of junk that right. nobody they, decided to keep them. And they crumbled to dust. Even if I, you did decide to I, keep I, it. I famously have, have told this story and I proudly have told the story. The hardest car to get when we did an exhibit on Mustangs was a Mustang too. Yep, I can believe it. It was the hardest car, and we, like you guys, had to turn to Craigslist and and physically purchase and drive it back. Yeah. for our exhibit. So, so tell me, you know, who, where did you find the Yugo? Well, Josh Sadlier uh, was kind of the most enthusiastic about this. He's one of our editors, and he, uh, he, yeah, Craigslist. He found it on Craigslist. Uh, it it turned out that uh, uh, there was one that looked pretty good, you know, as as Yugos go. Yeah. <laughs> in but it was in Boise, Idaho. Okay. And uh, but the pictures, you know, were pretty complete. You can kind of get a sense that it wasn't too cleaned up for the photos. You know, it had that patina yeah. on it that made it look like yeah, this is this is really it was all there, all there, and it hasn't been you know, overly cleaned in the engine compartment where you can't really tell if it's leaking oil or not. You could tell. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, you know, the interior was in decent shape, but, but not, uh, you know, obviously it's a 1989 Yugo. And, uh, but we, uh, he, he made some calls and we decided to go have a look. Okay. <laughs> and, and you, so from Los Angeles, <laughs> you did, you bought it. And you were a part of the drive back. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, it was kind of turned into a a, a rolling, uh, you know, team building exercise or something. We just all decided, let's go up there and check this out. And it became a road trip, you know, with a Yugo at the other end. And did you get to drive it at all? Because I imagine this is a car that, you know, you start, you go, well, this is going to be fun. And then about five miles in, you go, okay, fun's over. Actually, Josh and Kurt, uh, our photographer, they liked it so much that they kind of hogged the thing. And really? They really wouldn't let us drive it. And uh, the, it, so they spent the bulk of the time in the car. And uh, we just kind of watched it. I was uh, trailing in an F-150. We went up with two, with two cars and left one of them in Boise, actually. The Audi A3 uh, broke down <laughs> while we were picking up a Yugo. <laughs> The Audi broke down, <laughs> and the Yugo saved your, well, saved the day. I got to clarify that the the Audi uh, the Audi made contact with a hidden stump in the grass that okay and and uh, had to be repaired. So we had I, to leave it behind. I, I bet there would be some people from Audi that would say, "What was that car doing in the grass in the first place?" Well, it was actually right at the guy's house in Boise. Oh, really? There was a vacant lot next to his house with nicely mowed grass. There wasn't really much of a street. It's like pull off here, and there was like a three-inch high stump in three-inch high grass yeah. that you couldn't see. You just took it out. Just boom. What What was the guy like? Why, when, why was the guy selling a Yugo, and why did he have a Yugo? It turns out there's a thriving Bosnian community in Boise, Idaho, that I had no idea about. And uh, well, You've never heard of Boise as the little Bosnia. I have not. Apparently, okay. I, I, I was expecting Napoleon Dynamite, and I got that. Yeah, three people today have referred to it as a little Boisnia. Right. So, uh, yeah, we uh, uh, he had bought it off of somebody else who was the original owner okay. and who had driven it like 2,500 miles a year and had, you know, 
proposed to his he was a fan it yeah he liked the car kept it uh you know even when he stopped driving it he was covering it with a car cover and uncovering it and washing it every year and covering it up and you know it it was in remarkably good shape when this guy bought it i'm not sure exactly how long he had it but i think it's just a year or two Mm -hmm. and uh yeah we bought it from him and uh and what now you're doing the long term testing, so what has been some of the things you guys have noticed? What have been some of the what do you guys like about the Yugo? What do you not like about the Yugo? Well Well <laughs> we haven't taken it to the track yet. I mean okay. right now we're still trying to cure an idle problem, which is why I didn't drive it here today. Okay. But uh, it needs a little work on the carburetor. But it's in remarkably good shape. We've had it up on the lift. And we we thought we were going to have to change a timing belt, and because, you know, we figured this is a 25 year old car, and uh, has the timing belt ever been looked at here? It's only got 39,000 miles on it, but years count for something. Yeah. And so I ordered a timing belt on Amazon, and it cost three dollars and fifty cents. Okay. So cheap that I had to buy something else because it's an add on item. I couldn't buy it unless I. I hope bought you, something that made it worth shipping. I hope you kept that receipt for reimbursement. Uh, I did, yeah. Okay. So we get the thing, uh, uh, you know, we just assumed we needed it, so we bought it. And uh, took the timing cover off, you know, with uh, another guy who was going to help me change it, you know, Jay from work, and looked at the date code on the uh, on the timing belt on the car, and it's a, it, it's like five years old, six years good. old. So, it, yeah, it was good. Well, now we didn't have to do that, but I have a souvenir. Well, first of all, you can never have too many Yugo timing belts. Right, as my exactly. I wasted that three dollars and ninety eight cents though, kicking myself. But the good news is, you now have spare parts for when you guys go to sell it. Exactly. What what is now? What what? Because do you guys buy the long term cars? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Some of them we buy, Mm -hmm. and some of them are on loan, and it just depends on the car and how hard it is to get. And but knowing how much we want it before everyone else has it, knowing this didn't come from the Yugo press fleet, uh, <laughs> you guys had to buy it. What is your plan? How long are you going to review it for? And what is your plan for when it is done? I think uh, that's evolving. Okay, but generally we keep cars for a year. I don't know that we'll we'll do that with this one, but uh, because it might not make it, or you guys might love. Well, it we're going to so put much. more miles on it than it's had in the last fifteen years. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I think we're going to discover more about the car as we drive it. Okay. Well, I, I'm excited to see it. Uh, I'm going to have to yeah. come out to Santa Monica one day Absolutely. And, and check it out because I'll show you my, uh, my equally as silly project uh, after this podcast. But, nice. Um, uh, Can't wait. Dan Edmonds, thank you so much for coming in. If anybody has any question about any car ever, Period. That's right. Go to Edmunds.com. I mean, literally miles per gallon to how many quarts of milk you can probably get in an Enzo Ferrari's <laughs> trunk space. Uh, uh, so, Dan, Dad Edmunds, Director of Vehicle Testing, uh, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm.